This is our first uh, class of this series, which, God willing, will be an ongoing series. So we're doing roughly Parsha-based Torah portion of the week. And look what Hashem did for us to fit the theme for Parsha's Noyach. He made a flood outside, so it's pretty good, right? Is anyone else thinking that when you're coming in? Like, no? It's like a theme park. It's like, a, I thought it was very befitting. You know, there was, you guys were probably, some of you, in Shul on uh, Shemini Atzeres. That was last week. Remember that? Shemini Atzeres, last week? Yeah. And they have Tfilas Geshem, right? The prayer for rain, very beautiful prayer for rain, and uh, that they, that the, the last day of Pesach, or the seventh day of Pesach, is the prayer for dew, and then the, the last, or the seventh, the, the eighth day, actually, of Sukkot, Shemini Atzeres, which is its own Yom Tov, is the prayer for rain. This is the most tedious setup for a joke in history, but it is a, it is a joke, and if you'll wait for 30 more seconds, it uh, should become evident, God willing. So at any rate, there was a synagogue once where the the cantor was uh, quite enamored with his own voice, and as some cantors are, and not all, but some. And he got up and he said the Tfilas Geshem, the prayer for rain. And just as he was praying the prayer for rain, there was a thunderclap and a bolt of lightning, and it started storming outside. And he, after the prayer, he turned to the congregation. He said, did you see what I did? Look what I did. I was praying for the prayer for rain. And look, immediately it began to rain. Look at what I did. I prayed for rain. I made it rain. Look how I made it rain. The rabbit couldn't take it anymore. He said, yeah. And a few more guys just like you made a whole flood. Okay, so that wasn't the joke, by the way. That was the, this still the setup for the joke. And can somebody give me a punchline that works? Okay, that was, I, that was a really, like, it was dead silent. Okay, very good. And a few more like you made a whole flood. See? Consist no, no, don't ruin it. It's, it's supposed to bomb. Okay. So, Parshas Nayach. Um, I, I, I bombed so bad, I forgot what I was going to talk about tonight. I'll make something up. Okay. So, um, yeah. Okay, maybe this, this joke will work. And this is like a tie-in. This, uh, this is actually thematically connected to the topic. There was once uh, in a, there was a shtetl in Eastern Europe uh, inhabited by two corrupt brothers. They were uh, partners in business, and they swindled everyone in the whole town. These guys were absolute crooks. And one of them died. And that's not the punchline. And one of them died, and <laughs> the other one, the surviving brother, went to the rabbi, and he said, uh, I want you to eulogize my brother, and here's a hundred rubles if you say he's a tzaddik. So the rabbi's like, you want me to say about, you know, you want me to, you and your brother, you robbed everyone in this whole town, you want me to get up, and I should say he was a tzaddik. He says, yes, and you have to use that word. You have to say he's a tzaddik. He says, how much? hundred rubles? Don't worry, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. So the rabbi gets up, and he says, the deceased was known as a crook, and he robbed everyone in this town, him and his brother. But I got to tell you something. Between the two, comparatively speaking, if you compare him to his brother, he was a tzaddik. <laughs> okay. And he already had the 100 rubles, so, and they couldn't do a charge back 
on the credit card because they didn't have credit cards. Um, so compared to his brother, it's a very responsive crowd. What? Compared to his brother, he was a tzaddik. Okay, what's the tie-in to the parsha? No, very good. Okay, so the first verse in this week's Torah portion. Eile, toildois nayach. These are the descendants of Noah. Noyach ish tzaddik. Tomim hoye bederesov. Noyach, or Noah, was a righteous man, righteous or complete, perfect in his generations. Why in his generations? Of course, in his generations. Whenever he lived, in his in his in his time. So Rashi explains to us, "Bedayroisov in his generations" comes to tell us something. Yesh merabiseinu deshem shavach. We have a division between the sages. Some sages take this word "bedayroisov," this uh, uh, this this phrase in his generations, and they say. That it is a it is a praise. It amplifies what was just said. It said that Nayach was a tzaddik. Oh, you don't know though how much of a tzaddik because it goes on to say Kol tzaddikim. How much more so he would have been a tzaddik if he were in a righteous generation. So he it's like he grew up disadvantaged or morally disadvantaged in a in a bad neighborhood. And look what he made him made of himself. And if he had had the advantage of growing up around righteousness. Think about how even more righteous he would be. Okay, um, he would be even more righteous. Okay, However, there are other sages who say this is no, no. This is a disparaging comment. It's actually an asterisk. It's like a, a disclaimer. Yeah, the Torah just called him a tzaddik, but don't, don't get so carried away. Not such a big tzaddik. tzaddik. Only relative to, compared to his brother, right? Yeah, he was a tzaddik. So compared to his generation, he was a tzaddik. If he would have been in the generation of Abraham, for example, lehoya nachshov leklum, he wouldn't have been considered anything. He would be no big deal at all. You wouldn't even be hearing about him. So, uh, okay. Noyach, the relative tzaddik. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Depends on the context. That's, that's the idea there. Okay. So, everything in Torah is instructive. You know that? Everything in Torah is instructive. Torah is not a history book. Torah is an instruction manual. You ever heard that before, by the way? That the acronym Bible. You ever heard this one? Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Is that, did I spell it right? Yeah? yeah. It's an acronym. Basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. Yeah, you like that? Okay. So what? No, what? No, no. If it was a joke, no one would have laughed. It would bomb if it was a joke. Um, yeah. So, Torah meloshin heira. The word Torah means instruction. Heira is instruction. Everything in Torah is instructive. It's not a history book. So here's the question: If 
we are told that Noach was a tzaddik. And not only we're told he was a tzaddik, but we're told two perspectives, sort of like quantum. I just heard they, they, some guy proved last week that the universe is not locally real. Did you hear about that? Nobody heard about that? You heard about it? What does it mean? You also read the headline on Google News. Okay, fine. <laughs> and as they say, according to quantum theory, the universe is not locally real. I'm not sure what it means. But I think it has something to do with the fact that like, there are different perspectives. And you can Google it. Don't Google it now. Um, so, Noyach is like this quantum tzaddik. He is like Schrodinger's tzaddik. Is he a tzaddik? He's, he's, he's not a tzaddik. But that can't just be trivia for the history buffs. If it's in Torah, it has to be instructive. It has to be instructive, somehow. So I want you to think about that, this idea that there has to be somehow instructive, and we're going to come back to it. And if I don't come back to it, remind me to come back to it. Deal? Yeah? Okay, fine. So I have, well, I have here a printed out paper from the New York Times from, uh, oh my goodness, February, I can't even read it, 1983, I think it is. Um, I'll, I'll pass it around, but it says, Sharansky tells, this is a fr the front page of the New York Times, February 13th, 1986, 1986, okay, it says, here, here's the title of the article on the front page of the New York Times, Sharansky tells how he clung to Psalms, captors to Captors tried to seize. What does that mean? Captors tried to seize. What are the Psalms that captors tried to seize? A book of, yeah, Tehillim, book of Tehillim. It was a safer Tehillim. It was a book of Psalms that the government tried to take away from him. They actually, they put him in solitary for 130 days for having contraband, and he still wouldn't part from the book of Psalms. And then when they finally let him out on a prisoner swap, they released him, I think, in East Berlin, and that's when he famously he walked zigzag on the bridge. They, it was his final act of defiance. They told him, walk straight out of here, and he walked zigzag just to flout them. But when they were taking him to the drop-off point, they, uh, they knew that the Psalms were uh, important to him, so they grabbed it from him. They said, go ahead, like right on the brink of letting him go. They said, go ahead, and he fell in the snow. It's in this article. I'll pass it. You think this is one of these made-up stories that rabbis tell. It's not. It's not one of the made-up stories that rabbis tell. It's a real story. It's from New York Times. All the news that's fit to print. You know rabbis make up stories, right? Do you know that 83.7% of all statistics cited by rabbis in sermons were made up on the spot? 83.7%. percent Okay, at any rate, yeah, sometimes rabbis make up stories. This is not made up. Anyways, I'll pass this around so you could see if you have a microscope or a jeweler's loop. You could see there, yeah, I printed it out. Okay, so Sharansky spoke about this after they, uh, after they let him out. And he said that his wife, she was already in Israel. 
and she was able to send him stuff. Officially, he was allowed to get stuff. Um, and she sent him this book of Psalms. And he said that was his solace. The whole time he was in prison, <clears throat> he had that book. And he would, he would push it, read Tillim, just reading the words of King David. The, the balm, the healing words of, of that poetry, of those lyrics. That, that was his comfort. And to the extent, like I said, when they, they threw him in solitary confinement over it, 130 days. And uh, they tried to take it from him, and they threatened they, they're not going to let him go. And, and he, he wouldn't, he, like I told you, he, he fell in the snow. He said, I'm not going to go without my book of Psalms. So, I mean, obviously that's a remarkable story. It's a very inspiring <coughs> story. But it's, it's reflective of a general attitude that our people have toward the holy healing words of the Torah, that uh, it's not just academic for us, it's not just scholarship for us, it is our greatest comfort, it is our greatest solace, and, and we literally, we take shelter in those words, in those holy words. Uh, I heard a great story on the lighter side of things from a friend of mine, um, a friend, Chaim Marcus, who he lives in L.A., and he is friends with Mel Brooks. May he be well to long, healthy years. I forget how old Mel is, but he's, he's up there, Baruch Hashem. Um, anyways, so he's friends with Mel Brooks, and uh, he said they were schmoozing one time, and Mel Brooks told him that when he was growing up as a kid, <clears throat> growing up in New York, so uh, he always knew that he, he, he wasn't raised religious and he couldn't read Hebrew. I don't think he had a bar mitzvah, actually. But he had a certain reverence for Hebrew letters, Hebrew words. He understood that that's the holy tongue. Literally, we call it the holy tongue. So he, he, he told my friend uh, Chaim a story that one time he was uh, playing around, I think, in the kitchen of their apartment, and there was this uh, holy book, a Hebrew book. And uh, what was it, really? It was the, uh, the Yiddish Forwärts. Mm -hmm. It was the Jewish Forward. But before they were in English, it was, it was a Yiddish newspaper. So he didn't know what it was, he just he saw Hebrew letters. So he was looking at it, he was a little kid. He was looking at it and he was turning the page and he ripped it. And he was so scared, he ripped the holy book. So he said he ran out of the room and he went hiding so nobody would uh, associate him with the, this terrible act of uh, desecration of this holy book. You know, the, 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 the Jewish forward, it's a, it's, a, it's a newspaper, it's a Yiddish newspaper. Anyways, so he didn't tell anyone about it. This was his like shameful secret, he didn't tell anyone about it. And he said it was just gnawing at him. And two weeks later, he told his older brother. He had a brother who's a couple old, old years older than him. And he said, I did something really bad. I didn't tell anyone. I, I tore a holy book. So he's like, which, which book? And he took him over and he showed him the stack of the newspapers. He said, that one, that was he. 
and his brother was laughing and he said, that's not a holy book, that's the Yiddish Vorwärts, that's the Jewish forward, it's, a, it's a, just a newspaper, you know, like, uh, like the New York Times, but it's in, it's in Yiddish. But it, it's, it, it's more than a cute story, you see from that, Here's, here's a kid who unfortunately was not raised with any religious training and unfortunately uh, wasn't taught Aleph base and, and, and how to daven, but that only makes the point stronger. That only makes the point stronger that he had this almost like visceral reverence for the Hebrew words. It's Hebrew words, it's holy. Okay? So there's something in our DNA as a people where we have this reverent connection to the words. I mean, every people has a language, um, but the words of Torah are to us, um, I mean, I'll tell you what the Kabbalistic teaching is. The Kabbalistic teaching goes as far as to say that the Torah is not a book written by God, the Torah is God in book form. It says, that the Torah and Hashem are entirely one. It says that when Hashem said, I am the Lord, your God took you out of Egypt, he used the personal pronoun, Anoichi, I. So we're told that's an acronym, not like basic, basic instructions before leaving earth, but, or maybe like basic instructions before leaving earth, but lahavdil uh, in the holy tongue. Uh, is is which is an Aramaic phrase for I wrote myself and gave myself through the medium of Torah. So again, the Torah is not a book authored by God. Torah is a vehicle or a, 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 a mechanism whereby God gives himself to us. And, and, and you can see that I mean, that's a very esoteric concept, but you see that in Natan Sharansky's clinging to those words of Psalms during his imprisonment. And you see that even in little Mel Brooks, um, instinctively, albeit erroneously, revering <laughs> the words of the, of the Jewish forward. Um, so, Here's what I'll tell you. Um, in this week's Parsha, as we mentioned, there's a flood. And in order to escape the flood, God tells Noah to build an ark. And the word for ark in Hebrew, in, the, in Scripture, is Teva, the Teva, build the Teva. It's interesting, the word Teva in Hebrew is a homonym. You know what a homonym is? A homonym is one word that has multiple divergent meanings. You know what I mean? Like, here. I'll crack you guys up because I have a really strong track record with my jokes over here. Okay, get ready. Why was Cinderella bad at soccer? 
because she always ran away from the ball. Was that good? Why? No? Was it worse than the flood joke that I opened with? No, this was better. This was slightly better. Okay. Okay. Why did the cat run away from the tree? Because he saw the tree bark. Should I keep going? No. Okay. Those are homonyms. Those are homonyms, like the ball. The ball. Could be like a ball. Or it could be like a ball. I don't know how to pantomime, a ball, you know, dancing, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, the word teva is a homonym. One meaning is, I told you two minutes ago, but I erased your memory already with my bad jokes. The ark. Very good. Bishrifka. Okay. You're on a roll. This morning you remembered Pedicalf of Tanya. It's very good. Okay. The other meaning of Teva is a word. A word. So the Balshamtiv homiletically said that Hashem's instruction to Noah, Bay El Hateva come into the ark is actually an instruction to each and every one of us that when there's a flood, a proverbial flood, when life becomes too much to handle, where should you take refuge? Where is our proverbial ark? The word, the words of Torah and tefillah, Torah study and prayer. So I think this is a very important concept. Again, like I said, Torah study for us is not academic. It's not just about being smart or about being a rabbi. It's interesting, the Jewish people are probably most unique. There's a lot of things that are unique about the Jewish people, but I think probably as a religion, I'm not saying culturally, although there's an intersection of religion and culture here, but as a religion, probably most unique in the, uh, the level of education, religious edu education of, of the lay people. Generally speaking, in, in a religion, you have the people who know what the text actually says, and then everybody else who, you know, you ask the cleric to tell you what it says. And the Jewish people, famously, um, every man, woman, and child had a direct relationship with the words. Even if it wasn't deep Talmudic scholarship, even if it was just reading words of, of Psalms. But there's something peculiarly, peculiarly Jewish about having that one-on-one -on -one relationship with the words of the Torah and, and viewing it not as, 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 a, as a scholarly pursuit, oh, I want to know more, I want to be smart, but like literally as, uh, and I'll use a 2022 term, self-care. That the Torah words for a Jew are self-care. It's not just study. It's not just scholarship. That is how we nurture ourselves. It's how we replenish and rejuvenate 
that's how we, we, we find hope and strength to go on, and, and, it, and it always has been. So, by El Hateva, when there's a flood outside, go into the words. That's really talking about our relationship with the words of Torah as, as, a, as, a, as a refuge, as, a, as like a, a spa for the soul, so to speak. Um, I'll tell you something interesting also. The ark... You know the dimensions of the Ark? Not many people know. Did you ever go to Home Depot and you realized you forgot the dimensions of the Ark? No. <laughs> if you built an Ark, that sometimes it happens and then you have to go back home, and get your chumash. Never happened to anybody. Okay. Anyways, I'm just trying to be relatable over here. I thought maybe... Okay, what? 50 is one of them, yeah. Please stop showing off, okay? Seriously. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 50 was the depth. The depth was 50. Yeah. You know how, how uh, wide? 30. And the length? 300. So I'll tell you something cool. If you, if you like gematria, I don't personally like gematria, but some people do. So if you like that kind of thing, you're going to like this. No judgment, okay? <laughs> I don't even like this. I'm just saying it because, yeah, some people are into this thing. So what? So what do you say? That's a fun fact for you. Fun fact, yeah. Why do you like Gematria? What? Why, why don't do you like Gematria? Why do I like? Why don't, you? Why don't I like Gematria? Um, I think it's manipulative. Is that an interesting statement? Yeah, yeah. It's like pulling a fast one. It can, at any rate, I, I'm just not personally impressed by it. To me, it's like Bible coats. But at any rate, you want to hear a cool gematria? Yes. Okay, fine. So the ark was 300 cubits long, and it was 50 cubits deep and 30 cubits wide, and so um, what you call it? So 30 is, you know what 30 is? What letter 30 is? Lamed. And 300 is Shin. And 50 is Nun. Lushen. Lushen means language or speech or tongue, literally. Yeah. So again, the Ark represents the words. That's where we find our salvation and our rescue. Okay. Fine. So I asked you to remind me of something. Do you remember what it was? None of us remember what it was? Oh, yeah. What's the lesson? Yeah. The lesson of what? You guys, I blew you away with my jokes so you can't even remember the original question. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that's what it was. So we said that Noyach was a relative tzaddik and we asked, what is the instructive content of that statement? And uh, see, here's what I'm going to tell you. A person could think 
you know, thank God, spiritually, I'm doing really well. And I'm doing so well that I don't really need saving right now. And therefore, I don't need to take refuge in the words. Sure, I'll learn whatever I have to learn to know what I need to do, or even learn in order to brush up on my, on my, my knowledge, my scholarship. But that, that type of learning that we're describing where we take shelter in the words, where we immerse ourselves there as, as, a, as a form of, of therapy. That I don't need, because thank God my life is good right now. So we tell that person, hold on a second. Noyach was a tzaddik, a real tzaddik, a big tzaddik, such a big tzaddik that even in his corrupt generation he was a tzaddik. You know, if he would have been in, in, a, in, a, in a healthier generation, he would have he even been a, been a bigger tzaddik. And Noyach was such a big tzaddik, and nevertheless Hashem told him, Boy al hateva, take refuge in the words. So even when you're riding high, take refuge in the words. Take refuge in the, in the words. That's one teaching. Conversely, a person might think, I'm so low right now. I'm so spiritually bankrupt. It's not going to help me at this point to go immerse myself in the holy words. To the contrary, it's, it's hypocrisy, it's a mockery, it's a travesty. I'm gonna, you, know what I, you know what I'm going through right now? And I'm going to go into the holy words as if they're going to shelter me? A bum like me? It's not going to happen. So you know what we tell him? We say, Mr. Noach was a bigger bum than you, <laughs> according to those who say he was. To the extent that we're told that he was not even a real tzaddik. He was only a tzaddik compared to his brother. Joke never gets funny, does it? Okay. All right, compared to his brother, he was a tzaddik. But you want to know something, guys, by the way? I promise you, you guys, just, I'm just pointing out preemptively the hypocrisy. Tomorrow at work, you're all going to tell that joke. You're going to be like, compared to his brother, he was a tzaddik. You know how I know you are? Because every Jew thinks they know how to tell a joke better than the guy they heard it from. So you can say, yeah, Tal bombed when he told it, but I'll tell it right. And you're all going to tell that joke tomorrow. Let me know if I'm right. Okay. Um, so, Naya was a bigger bum than however big of a bum you think you are. And nevertheless, Hashem told him, Go into the words. They will absorb you. They'll take you in. So here we have a very important lesson from the fact that Noyach may or may not be the biggest tzaddik or a total bum. Both sides of it teach us something important. And anyone who has a normal life, you know, sometimes you're like this, sometimes you're like this. We, we, go, we have our ups, we have our downs. We have our good hair days. Having a good hair day, see that? Good? Yeah? Okay. Um, sometimes you're not doing so well. And one thing remains the same. It doesn't matter if we are spiritually thriving or if we're spiritually struggling really bad right now. Either way, we can and we must take refuge in the healing shelter 
of the holy words of Torah. It's a constant in the Jew's life. Unchanging. Now, since we started this class this week, and it's Parshas Noyach, I have, something's bothering me, which is, I don't know if this bothered anybody else, but it bothered, that, that, that we never spoke about Bereshus. And that's really, was it bothering you? It was bothering you? Totally? You're saying that to make me feel good or it was bothering Yeah, it was bothering me too. So I'm going to tell you a quick Bereshus thing. This, 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 is a, this is a short one, don't worry, don't get scared. You think, I'm starting up all over again, right? I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that to you. It's like when you fly into LaGuardia and they start landing and then they go up again and they're like, oh yeah, we gotta, it's not, it's not a, there's no runway available. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I know this is probably more of a JFK crowd, but LaGuardia, right? They go to the holding pattern, you go back up again. Oh, we ran out of fuel. We're going back to Orlando. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I, I know I'm landing. I'm not going to go back up again. Um, this is just a, like a quick, we're just going to fly one time around the airport, okay? We're not, not going for a long trip. Bereshus, first Parsha, first Torah portion. It's interesting, the, the Talmud, there's a Gemara and Saita that tells us that the Torah begins with Gemelas Chasadim and ends with Gemelas Chasadim. It begins with kindness and it ends with kindness. How does it begin with kindness? Clothing the naked. Adam and Eve were naked, God clothed them, clothing the naked. How does Torah end with kindness? The very last parsha. In fact, we don't even read it on a Shabbos. We read it Simchas Torah, burying the dead. It says Moses passed away. God buried him. So Torah begins with kindness and ends with kindness. Okay. So the question is: Is there any specific significance to those instances of kindness, other than the fact that it's a nice concept that? The entire Torah is sandwiched between two acts of kindness, but is there a specific meaning about those specific instances of kindness? Okay, so first of all, what do they both have in common? Who was the bestower of kindness in both cases? Hashem himself, that's right. So Hashem is the one bestowing the kindness. Okay, now, the recipient of kindness in the first case is Adam, in the second case is Moses. And they are at two opposite extreme uh, levels when they receive the kindness. Um, Adam was at the lowest possible level when God clothed him. In fact, he only needed clothing because he became aware of his nakedness because of the sin. When he ate from the tree of knowledge, he became ashamed of his nudity. And that's why he even needed clothing. Before that, he didn't even need clothes. Um, also, homiletically, symbolically, his actual physical nakedness was a manifestation of being spiritually naked. He was bereft of the one mitzvah he was given. He was given one commandment and he dropped the ball, so now he was spiritually naked, which manifested itself uh, physically. So he was at the lowest point that anybody had ever been. And nevertheless, God bestowed upon him kindness. Contrast that with Moses' situation on the day of his passing, 
Moses' entire life was ascending in holiness. We are told that there are 50 gates, nun shari bina, 50 gates of understanding. Moses reached the, the 49th gate, which is the, I'm going to use a word now that I like to use, penultimate gate. Penultimate. Penultimate. You know what penultimate means? The second to last. That's right. So the 49th gate is the penultimate gate. And um, the thing is, that's the highest that anyone can reach. Because you can't get to 50. No human being. 50 is infinity. It's off the charts. You can't reach 50. Um, this is of knowledge? Of bina, of understanding, yeah, yeah. Understanding godliness. You can't reach 50. It's like amps that go to 11. You cannot get to 50. So, you got it, okay. And you can sit in the front row next week as well. Um, so, on his, on, at the moment of his passing, he reached the highest level. You know, tzaddikim are even greater in their passing than in their lifetime. So at that moment, he reached the 50th gate. And that's why, you know, where he was buried, where God buried no. Moses. Har Navai, Nun Bai. Navai is Nun Bai. Nun, 50, we said 50 over. Bai is in it. So he reached the 50th level. So he was at the highest possible level that a human being could attain. And at that level, Hashem bestowed upon him kindness. He buried him. And what does this teach us? Adam was at the lowest level. Moses was at the highest level. No matter where you're at right now, whether you're having the worst day of your life or the best day of your life, you can and must turn to Hashem for His kindness. That's the Bereshah's teaching. And the Noach teaching was also, whether you're having the worst day of your life, the best day of your life, or anything in between, we can and must immerse ourselves in the comforting, healing words of Torah. Now, if you would like to have a convenient way to immerse yourself in the comforting, healing words of Torah at least once a week, you could come, you could come here Mondays, 8.30 p.m. at the Levi Library, where you are literally immersed in words there are, I think, over 10,000 books here, I think. Go prove me wrong. And how many words do you think? Well, we're going to have a prize for whoever <laughs> finds out. By the, it's like counting the jelly bean jar, and then you're going to be entered into a raffle. <laughs> whoever gets closest to the number of words, you're entered in a raffle. For a raffle. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exciting enough. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the th I, I don't have any more jokes. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have fun? Yeah. Yeah. Finish the cookies, please.